You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I am Jesper, and this is episode 83 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. So Autumn is taking a well-deserved break today, and I'm instead joined by Mer Lafferty, who is both a fellow podcaster, but she is also a highly accomplished writer herself. She has won the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer, and also a Hugo, and she's also a Hugo and Nebula uh, nominee for Best Novel. And I'm quite sure I forgot some of uh, your other rewards there, uh, uh, but uh, a huge welcome onto the uh, Am Writing Fantasy podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm I'm pleased to be here. Yeah. So before we get into all this, uh, that we're gonna we're gonna talk somewhat about um, Star Wars and how it is to write in a setting that is already established and and just in general your experiences with writing in Star Wars because you've written a novel in there. But before we get that far, maybe maybe you could just share a bit more about yourself and your writing apart from what I just mentioned. Sure. Uh, I started, I guess, professionally. I started around 2002 when I started to get uh, jobs playing, uh, writing for role-playing games, uh, primarily with White Wolf. And yeah. I worked on several of those, and then podcasting became a thing. And so I started sort of chronicling my attempt to be published and while well, attempting to be published. And um, so I started that I should be writing in 2005. And yeah, it'll be 15 years old next month, actually. Wow. <laughs> and um, yeah, then I started to get published. I sold a short story or two. I self-published a superhero novel that, uh, and I published it on podcast via podcast and it got some attention from a small press. So then we, they published it. That was 2007, I think. And then I started selling books to Orbit and most recently Ace in the teens. And then I was approached to do the solo novelization. So I got to write a Star Wars book too. And then I also approached to do a Minecraft book, which came out after the solo book. Yeah, I saw that. It was the Lost Journals or something, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Are you still self-publishing some of the books or are all traditional published nowadays? It's all traditionally published because I'm mainly not very good at multitasking. <laughs> right. I would love to do some self-published stuff, but uh, I'm just it, it's hard for me to think about two stories at once, so I'm if I'm if I'm writing a book, I'm writing that book. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I know as well that um well, I, I actually listened to the podcast you you also host with your uh, uh, fellow host um, Matt, mm-hmm. um, the Did Stickers podcast. I listened to that as well. Yes, uh, and but I was actually wondering before we get on, you know, into the topic of today, uh, because you must have gotten into podcasting like in the really really early days, I yes. think, because you've been doing this for a long long time, and. It's always interesting to me to ask somebody who is like a really early adopter, early adopter of something. Why did you decide to do podcasting back in the in the day? 
It's hard to explain. I mean, besides the fact that I thought it sounded cool and I could do it. It's, uh, I've always loved the idea of being a DJ, but being live is kind of scary for me. I did right. a, uh, a monthly local radio show with a friend of mine and the anxiety levels were huge just because I'd be thinking, this is live. I have to keep talking. Oh no. All I can think about is how I'm not talking. And now that's all mm. I'm thinking about. And, uh, my co-host was very good at filling those empty spots when I would, uh, freeze up. But right around the time podcasting became a thing, uh, broadband was becoming a thing and like internet radio has been around for forever, but you needed to have huge, uh, ability to, to, to download a bunch of stuff. You know, it's, it's huge files, streaming files that was just not feasible to the average, um, you know, home. But once broadband became a thing, you could conceive, it would be easy to send out a 50 meg file that you would expect people to download. Um, I mean, I remember back in the nineties when somebody at the company I was working for found the very first South park, uh, short and which was 50 megs and mailed it to everybody in the company and brought the server to its knees. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it was, it, it sounded like fun and I could talk into a mic, but if I screwed up, I could fix it. So that's, it just seemed like a fun thing to try. And I did, and it was fun. Yeah. Do you see any difference nowadays in 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 the podcasting landscape versus because I don't know. I mean, we've been running the Am Writing Fantasy YouTube channel probably for like three, four years, but the podcasting element we transitioned into podcasting probably like a year or year and a half ago. So let's say we're still fairly new, at least compared to you in, in terms of podcasting. But I still feel like it is like a very like early environment in terms of podcasting. Do you always also feel that after after so many years, or do you see a huge difference compared to back then? Oh, it's huge! It's a huge difference. I, you know, I remember almost all of the major shifts in podcasting. The first being when iTunes started to support um, podcasts, and when Libsyn came around and the idea of your podcast becoming popular was not a huge hit to your finances because your uh, internet provider wouldn't go, Oh God, why are you suddenly distributing this podcast to so many people? Um, there was a time when, you know, a sudden spike in downloads would be very expensive for you. Right. Right. And uh, what, what's happening now is, um, <laughs> it's like the the corporations, like the big channels and uh, backed by big media money and hosted by celebrities, those shows are validating all the work we put into podcasting, which is great because you don't say, you don't get that weird look on people's faces when you say, I have a podcast. No, indeed. Yeah. Um Unfortunately, because they're there and they have validated it, that means they're also the biggest thing on the block. And it's much harder for independent podcasters to get noticed because of that. This is this is always the funniest thing I say when the mentality of the time, and I like to say it to other writing podcasters, because when I started 
to my knowledge, I always say to my knowledge, there might've been somebody else. I don't know. No one's ever come forward to tell me, but to my knowledge, I had the second writing podcast. And right. the first was uh, Michael A. Stackpole's The Secrets. And because there was only one, I figured I would talk to Mike and ask him if he thought it was okay that I did number two, which is, you know, these days it's laughable. How many writing podcasts are there? And yeah, no one yeah, asked sure. me for permission. No, no. <laughs> Not that I could or should give it. You know what I mean? But yeah, it yeah. was just funny at the time. And it's like, I thought there was a space for me because... Mike was talking from the point of view of a veteran of decades of fantasy and science fiction writing, while I was trying to approach it from a beginner who was trying to learn as many lessons as possible to pass on to other beginners. So, uh, but yeah, like the idea of contacting somebody else and saying, Hey, I might do something kind of like what you're doing. You cool with that? It, yeah, that's not a thing now. Um, everybody <laughs> no. knows what a podcast is. That's really cool. Um, and it's easier to do than ever, but it's, but there's the downside of, I wouldn't, when people ask me how to start a podcast now, I have no idea because, you know, my advice is go back to 2005 and, and start one when there's like a couple thousand podcasts and, um, I wouldn't know how to start out with episode one in the current landscape of podcasting, but more power wow. to everybody who gives it a go. Cause more content's always great. But uh, yeah, I feel very old in the fact that my experiences uh, aren't terribly relevant anymore, hmm. but uh, I mean, I keep producing and, and so there's that, but as for advice on how to get, get started or, or, get a foothold i i have no idea no no and i i guess to some extent one could say that similar to once self-publishing came around you know there is a lot of podcasts but there's also a lot lot of poor ones it's it's easy to make a podcast but it's not easy to make a good one yes just like self-publishing it's easy to publish a book but writing a good one is not easy yeah (laughs) so but okay but maybe we've nerded out enough about podcasting and whatnot and uh, should try to get into the topic that we were supposed to talk about here um because we want, really wanted to invite you on to the to the Am Writing Fantasy podcast here. Because when I look at your career, of course, from afar here, uh, but you're probably one of the writers out there that has the most experience in writing in a setting that somebody else created. Um, and as you said in the beginning, there you you started out writing in in some role playing settings already. So already there, you were writing in settings that um, somebody else created. And then afterwards, you or later on, you wrote solo a Star Wars story and also that Minecraft book, uh, The Lost Journals, as we mentioned before. But I was thinking maybe to start us out here, could you talk a bit about what is it like to write in a universe where, where at least I assume that you have to abide to some sort of established law of that world? Oh, there are very established laws. Yeah, um, it's. There are a couple of things that uh, some people don't understand. A lot of people, when they write, they they have this this sense of this is my baby and it's mine. And you know, if anybody says anything bad about it, then you get wounded to your very soul. And if anybody wants to change anything, no, you can't because this is what I created. And I got to learn early on 
that when you do work for hire, you're writing in somebody else's world. It doesn't belong to you at all. Nothing mm. does. And so it, it gives you a sense of freedom to just let go. So uh, going into it with the knowledge that, yeah, I can say I made that, but I don't own it and I'm not getting any more money from it. Um, is, is, it was a familiar feeling to me. Uh, get it, writing in somebody else's world has the challenge of already well-established boundaries, but it's a fun challenge to figure out where you can go from there. Um, I had a lot of, of, of ideas on how to add to the solo story. Some of it just being telling a scene, everyone's seen on the screen, uh, in a different point of view. So, um, the challenge was not just, not necessarily in the plotting and the characters, but more in, uh, retelling it so people don't feel like they're reading a script and, you know, it's a different medium. It's, it's film is different than books. You can tell what people are thinking. You can give a little bit more backstory. You're not confined by uh, budget or minutes. You're, con- you're confined mm. by your deadline, of course. But, yeah. you know, it's... Uh, so it's, it's, it's fun playing in somebody else's sandbox as long as you understand the rules and you don't get too attached. But is it expected of you that you need to read up uh, on the lore and understand a lot of different things uh, before you even get started writing a novel in a Star Wars universe, or, or do you? Well, do you do somebody fact check you, or how do they do that? Oh, they definitely fact check. They fact check the hell out of it. <laughs> uh, I, I had I know of at least two fact checkers who were commenting on the manuscript. Um, and they were fact checking about tiny things. It was amazing. Uh, Pablo Hidalgo knows so much obscure Star Wars lore. I don't understand. I, I think he may not understand, like base remember basic things in life, like a short grocery list or something, because he knows how many chickens are in the Star Wars universe. He li- literally, I'm not just picking that out of a hat. I know he knows how many chickens there are. Um, I think there are two, but I can't remember. I just remember somebody told me that somebody asked Pablo that, and he knew. Um, so yeah, there are people out there to fact check you, but they're the, one of the reasons they came to me is because they knew I was a huge Star Wars fan. And, uh, my agent was in touch with the publisher of the, all the, the books. And I had done two short stories, one for Star Wars Insider magazine and one for the first volume of, from a certain point of view which was the telling of the first movie from a lot of different points of view. Um, I wrote about Greedo's murder from the point of view of the band. And um, so I, they already knew that I was passionate about star Wars and was uh, hoping to get a larger project. So that was, you know, it didn't just drop in my lap. It was, it was a cut maybe over a year in communication and hoping something would happen. Right. But in terms of the law, then, I mean, given that you're already a big, uh, or you were already and are already a big Star Wars fan, do do you then have to 
read a lot of hand solo stories in the case of where you have to re- write a hand solo story or to to understand all the moving parts around that character or is it more like because you are already a fan you can start writing and then they will do the fact checking and and correct you for world inconsistencies and so forth it's kind of in the middle i mean i i did do some research but you know they just because the extended universe had gotten so huge they decided to wipe it and call it legends. So none of that stuff was canon anymore. And so a lot of what people thought of were classic Han Solo stories weren't canon anymore. So um, when it came to his early stories, all I needed to know was who Han Solo was. And I mean that like, I need to know who his character was, how he acted, you know, that, that cocky. um, Yeah. uh, uh, Smuggler guy. Um, and I picked up a lot of other Star Wars things just to sort of get in the mindset. And I read a lot of Star Wars novelizations because I wanted to see what other people had done. So I got a lot of inspiration from uh, Jason Fry's The Last Jedi novelization because he did some really cool stuff with that. And right. uh, so that was very, very influential for me. But, you know... I knew that if I said something wrong, whether it's the name of a planet or the background of a character who has a name on the script, but we never hear it said out loud in a movie, that kind of thing, um, they were there to to make sure that got fixed. But, uh, you know, they expected me to know what I was talking about. I had to do yeah. some of the heavy lifting, essentially. Yeah, yeah. But when you then had to write your story, did they dictate sort of where they wanted you to go with the story or did you have creative freedom to tell the story you wanted to tell? Well, I had the script that I had to go, you know, can't deviate from that at all. But I was able to, in fact, required to um, put, put in my own scenes. So the first thing I did was send them a list of scenes that I thought would add to the story. So um, I wanted to do a prologue. The the movie begins with Han running away from a uh, deal gone bad. So I wanted to tell a little bit about that deal. And um, I wanted to put in more about Kira's experience between uh, getting separated from Han and then meeting him again. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to put in more about Enfys Nest, and that was the only thing they cut. They just outright said they didn't want was a bit of history on Enfys Nest because they they didn't want to I believe the words they used were "we're not ready to explore the backstory of this character yet," um, which you know I, I made me think that somebody else was already on deck to do it. <laughs> so, uh, but they gave me a lot of leeway. Um, I put some humor in where, uh, as somebody who's had long hair several times in her life, I thought that if Chewbacca had been in a mud pit for days or weeks, then one shower on a spaceship was not going to do it. And if he was with Lando right. Calrissian, the biggest space dandy there is, nobody would have better product than him. So I wrote a scene where Chewie approaches Lando and they try to communicate because Lando understands a little bit of Wookiee, but not a lot. Um, and he, he says, you know, basically, do you have anything to help me get all this mud out? And 
Lando gives him permission and Chewie just trashes his bathroom. And I had so much fun imagining <laughs> that scene. And I really did not think they would let me do it. And they approved the whole thing. So it was, you know, just telling little scenes between the scenes you get in the movie or some scenes I told from different points of view than you would think of, because I told, uh, Kira meeting Han at the big fancy party on uh, the space yacht. I told that from her point of view, not Han's. So she got, you know, we got to see her reaction to him and what she thought of him and um, how she viewed everything in the room happening. So while I was still telling the scene exactly how it was in the movie, it was a bit different because you kind of see that scene from Han's point of view Whereas in the book, it's from Kira's. Right. But it almost sounds to me like, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong here, but I'm just thinking in terms of give, being giving a script and saying, okay, you need to you need to follow this. And, and I, 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 by the sounds of what you're saying, it sounds like it is a fairly detailed script. And then you have to find your own way through that in terms of injecting some of your own creativity here and there where you can. Yes. But would it be fair to say that it's more like if, if you were not a experienced and seasoned writer, that then it, it almost sounds like it would be pretty difficult. Would you say? I think so. It might be because it's, uh, I did before I wrote the scene I just told you about Kira from Kira's point of view, I was feeling really uh, down because suddenly I thought I've got, I I didn't have the script. I was able to take notes on the script. I was flown out to San Francisco, took notes on the script and came home. But they also gave me the middle grade book, which was already done. So I had a novelization already and I'm like, I've got the movie. I've got uh, the middle grade novel and I've got the script. How in the world am I going to add anything to this? because there's already so much and it was, I struggled a lot and um, I I was very relieved when I came up with the, the same scene, different point of view solution. Um, You know, there's always the, you come out of every movie going, man, I wish we'd learned more about X character or Y character. And um when I'd read the script, I'm like, yeah, some things need to, I, I think there's some things missing here. I'm not sure if, I don't know. I, I, I would think that seasoned fan fiction writers would probably take to it just fine. So long as they understood that you can't just go anywhere with this. You have to follow some very specific rules, but um, it is a lot like uh, approved fanfic. Yeah. It's, it's, writing about beloved characters in a beloved setting and just pushing a little bit more of your own story into it. Yeah. And I think heading into it as well, you probably, I mean, I could imagine some people feeling quite daunted already before you even start to like, okay, all, but all that lore and all those details about the world, it can almost feel like a mountain to climb before you even get started. I think some people could feel that at least. Sure. But, um, there is a mountain of lore out there, but say the details of the eyelids of the, uh, of course I can't remember their race now, but the, the, 
the band playing in the Moss Eisley Cantina, the details about their eyelids and how they respond to light have nothing to do with solo. So yes, I know that from my previous story that I wrote, but I'm just saying little details like that were not important. I didn't need to go out and read all the Darth Vader comics to write solo. Um, Mm. I didn't need to uh, play the role-playing game. So there, there were, there's a lot out there, but when it comes to specific stories about specific people, it can be, you know, uh, much more of a, a focused approach. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but so once you have written a novel like this, does it then become part of the of the established law and the canon, or is it just treated like it's it's like just a, a separate novel and it doesn't it doesn't become part of the official Star Wars universe? Or how does that work? It is canon. Okay. It is. It is. That's why it's so closely fact checked and and. Uh, uh, you know, we did very close edits. It's, it's, it is canon. Right. Okay. And you mentioned early on that you had been in a, a year long conversation with those guys in order Something to like get to that. the stage where you could write the story. But how, how did this, how did that conversation start in the first, first place? How, how did you get into even being considered to write the story? Um, my agent knew the publisher and, um, dropped my name as somebody who was really interested in Star Wars. So, you know, next time you need a author for Star Wars, consider my client. And that's how the conversation got started. Okay. So is it more like, do you think that, in you know, it is very much dependent on agents and, and sort of like that? It, it would be almost impossible unless you know somebody there that you could that other people could get into. I'm thinking about listeners here who might yeah. be interested in getting into writing Star Wars or something. Would that even be possible without an agent and being an accomplished writer already and so forth? I really doubt it. They're they're going to want uh, to to approach them. It's easier to have an agent, and uh, they they're going to want seasoned writers with a track record um, that they know won't like leave the project or uh, screw it up. And I'm not saying unagented writers would do that. I'm just saying that when you have an agent speak for you, that carries more weight with editors. So for, for the unagented, I don't think it would be very easy. Um, I can't speak for my publishers, so it's just my opinion, but everybody I know who writes for star Wars is agented. Right. And does it benefit at all for those who just write a lot of Star Wars fan fiction? And if they do that really well, would that help them? I honestly in terms don't of getting know. noticed. I mean, I I really don't know. Some no. some. I mean, I know agents who read fanfic for fun and would like to find clients that way. Sometimes, um, I know editors who read fanfic for fun. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. But you got to remember that, <laughs> I hate saying this out loud, but according to copyright law, fanfic is illegal. And a lot of places, you know, if, if the author doesn't mind, they just turn a blind eye to it. And they say, you know, just don't send me anything. Have fun. Go play in my world. I don't care. Just don't send it to me because that can open legal doors that are very bad. But right. um, so I, I don't know 
on an official level how that would work out. And again, I can't speak for Del Rey, so I'm not going to, uh, if my editor might think otherwise, but, uh, I know I I'll, I'll tell you 99% sure that I don't think you could sell your fanfic to the star Wars universe. I really, cause they have very specific ideas of where they want to go with their stories. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't want to squash anybody's dreams, but, uh, I, I, doubt I would have had this chance if I didn't have an agent who was knew the right people to talk to. No, I understand. But it's also very interesting because there is a lot of fan fiction out there, not only for Star Wars, but for different kinds oh, of yeah. settings, right? And it's it's interesting because at least at least somebody like you know, Star Wars uh, brand ownerships, you know, they, they certainly have enough money and, and the power to go after stuff yeah. like that if they wanted to, but it, it seems like they don't really do that right no no they don't until you start making money from it um then they'll come down on you pretty hard but (laughs) like i said there's like a handful of people who frown on that kind of thing and they're kind of seen as the ogres of the world um so it's it's a lot of people don't mind but they can't like there have to be some rules regarding it you know don't sell it etc um but yeah, I'm not saying there's not excellent fanfic being written. I, I know that for for a fact. I've read a lot myself. Um, and I wrote it when I was younger, before the word fanfic was a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel very old right now. I wrote Fred Saberhagen fanfic. Um, but it's, it's yeah, I, it's, I don't know how similar my story is to everybody else's. So, uh, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. But okay, I'm thinking maybe to broaden out it a bit more here. Uh, I mean, it, we can still focus on Star Wars if if you feel more comfortable with that. But I'm just thinking in more a bit more broad terms here. It could also be in relation to some of the White Wolf stuff that you you wrote in the past as well, or whatever. But I'm just thinking if you are to advise a listener, for example, of this podcast who maybe is. Let's say they have a couple of novels under their belt, so they're not completely new to writing, mm-hmm. but they they they're still building their writing career, and they might be thinking about would it be better for me? And I'm not talking fan fiction now, since we just established that that's not legal. But <laughs> but would it be better for me to just create my own universe if if I have only written a few novels and then write in that setting, or would it be well, I, I guess I can't ask you if it would be better to write in somebody else's universe. You know, if you contacted somebody or you ra- made arrangement with somebody who already have an established universe with established readers. But I guess I'm more asking about how do you see the pros and cons on on each one of those, and and what kind of things would the listener need to think about if they considered that either should I write in somebody's established world world because that could sort of lift my me up a bit. Uh, versus should I create my own thing? Are you talking about sense? writing fanfic or a uh, license? No, no, I, I'm more I'm more thinking like, um, so for example, uh, Autumn and myself, uh, the, we have a, an established setting that we are writing novels in. Mm-hmm. So for example, in theory, if somebody then said, hey, I would like to write some novels, just like you did for Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. I would like to li- write a story in your setting. Um and I'm not talking fan fiction. I'm more th- talking like you write, for example, in 
for a lack of a better example, our setting here, uh, meaning that we be basically sort of become the Star Wars part in the story here, meaning that we mm-hmm. are the ones editing it, we are the ones maybe publishing it or whatever, but they write in in another setting. It's just like, I guess, also when you wrote for White Wolf, I guess they were the publisher, yeah. they were the ones publishing it, and, and you were more uh, a writer on staff there or whatever you would call it. Right, I was freelance, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So that's what I'm thinking. How do you see the pros and cons about writing in somebody else's setting versus creating your own? Well, I'll be honest with you. I think that if you want for your career to move forward in a traditionally published sphere, um, you just need, you're going to need to write books that people see. Um, I, when I was starting out, uh, when podcast fiction started to really become a big thing, like in 2006, 2007, a lot of us were writing stories in each other's worlds. I had, I did my superhero novel and had a lot of friends write short stories in the world. And Scott Sigler also has done the same thing um, with his stuff. I wrote a novella for him. Um, I don't think that was, it was fun and I learned a lot, uh, but I don't know how much it actually furthered my career until, you know, I sold my own story to orbit. Um, If you wanted, like, I, I don't regret it. I'm definitely thinking if you, if that sounds like fun to you, then do it. Why not? You're going to learn everything you write, you learn from. And so if, if, if nothing else, you're going to be perfecting your craft. Um, I would warn you to make sure there's some pretty clear rules about who owns the, the work. Um, because and it can't just be a friendly handshake. You should write something down. Because mm. if they think, hey, you know what? I really like this character that I wrote in your world and I'm going to go sell it. Um, does that belong to you or does that belong to them? And then if you're not friends anymore, then that can get really ugly. So uh, you want to do something to make sure the legalities are all uh, there. Um, but I don't know. It's 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 fun, but if I, I don't know if that's how you're going to get... Uh, a mainstream publisher to notice you. No, and, and maybe I'm thinking that if we are, because there's probably a difference between a traditional publisher here versus self-publishing. Sure. Because if we are talking self-publishing, I could actually see that it could be beneficial to, again, I fully agree with what you say about that you need to have a contract in place with, with the people in, in who, whose world you're writing so that everything is clear uh, and what can you do and what can you not do going forward and whatnot. So I fully agree with that. But if we assume that is in place, I could see with self-publishing that it might actually, in some cases, benefit you from writing in somebody else's setting because you can tap into their readership and if they are publishing it or editing it or whatever, then they will probably promote it for you as well. Sure. And if they already have 5,000 readers uh, who buy Kindle books, then that's pretty cool. No, <laughs> Versus yeah. doing it on your own. If you're, if you're talking like in the self-publishing sphere, definitely. I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, I got Scott Sigler's uh, fans interested in me when I wrote the novella in his world. Um, and it's, it's really good to have the cross promotion. 
I think that's great. Yeah. Uh, I have not done a ton of self-publishing since I started traditionally publishing, traditional publishing. So I can't say what it takes to get a completely new original world in front of people in self-publishing. Um, so I'm really not sure how one would do that. So I can't say whether the, uh, whether playing in somebody else's sandbox or building your own world would do better in uh, uh, self-publishing, but, you know, why not try both? I mean, it, it's like yeah. you said, it's fun and it, it sets up your networking for sure. And the people who, you know, you and Autumn who publish your friend who wrote a story in your universe five years later, if you guys are doing another big project, you could think, Hey, remember that person who wrote that cool thing for us? I mean, that's, that's networking that doesn't die unless you kill it. So, Mm. you know, there's definitely not, I don't, I don't want to downplay the, the action. I can't tell you if one is better than the other, but I think, I think they're both good ideas, but Mm. it's, it's, it was a lot of fun to do. And I think it made me a better writer and made me uh, tighten the bonds I'd made in podcasting, which helped my career along later. So uh, you, the thing is you never know what's going to help your career. Never. Which is why, you know, be nice to people and hate your deadlines and you'll go far. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound like it and it's not something that, you know, you put the can, you put the coin in the machine and the candy comes out immediately. Um, but it is something that you never know what's going to benefit you. So why not try as much as you can, as long as you can, and then still be nice and hit your deadlines. Yeah, I think that's, that's good advice. And, and as well, if, if there was like one thing that if we say we had a time machine here and we could travel back in time uh, and there was only one thing or one message that you could send back to your former self when you were just starting out writing, do you know what, what would that be? Oh gosh. <laughs> I caught you off guard there. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's, it's the thing is I stopped. Uh, I, I had a real crisis of confidence when I left college. And um, for some reason thought that that now that I was out of the academic atmosphere, I would never improve on my writing. I didn't think my writing was that great to begin with, so I would never get any better. And I talked myself out of doing it for quite some time. Um, So if I could go back to her, I would say don't quit because you do get better. Every time you write something new, you get better. And um, But if I went back to myself at the start of podcasting, Um, I think at the start, I was afraid of publishing my own stuff until I saw other people do it because I was afraid it would kill any chances for it to be published. Because once you publish something yourself, you do, that does get rid of the first North American print rights or wherever you are print rights. Um, and that was something I was afraid of losing, but then I found out that some people just didn't care and thought it was more important to build an audience And uh, some publishers, if your book got enough attention, wouldn't care and still buy the rights. So, you know, I I was careful at the beginning and I don't think I, I mean, I was, I was pretty pioneering and trying lots of different stuff, but I think I could have tried more 
if I had not been so afraid to put my own fiction out there. So I would have said, don't, don't worry about it. I mean, right now, really good fiction podcasts are getting more attention to some, than some books on the shelf at the bookstore. So uh, definitely don't be afraid of that. No, I, I think that those are both good advice. It, it's basically, it's like, don't be afraid, keep going and don't give up. Right. I, I think that's, that's some of the best advice we can give to uh, to to new listeners or, or those just starting out. Yeah, and it sounds so simple, and people would be yeah. like, "Well, duh, <laughs> of course." But you know, I suffered; my career suffered. Of course, it did from quitting. Um, yeah. I hadn't been so worried about never improving and actually written in my twenties. You know, I might be farther along in my career right now. Yeah, um, and and I th- yeah. yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Now, I was just speculating while you said that because it made me think as well that I think one of the things about this writing stuff is that we are doing it, especially when we are starting out, mm-hmm. we're doing it so much in isolation. Yeah. So it is, for one, because you are in isolation, it is easy to give up because there's not a manager standing there yes. telling you to uh, get to work or whatever. Uh, and the other thing is that you have no idea if you're good at it or bad at it because you have nothing to compare against. Yeah. So yeah, giving up is just very easy, and um, I think those who makes it a lot of the time is just the one who the ones who kept going. Exactly, and you know, there's a there's a phrase that you can either take very is very very negative or actually quite positive, and that is nobody cares what you're doing, and you can think to mean that like, that nobody ever is going to read my stuff and nobody cares, but also you can be like. So I can go stand in the corner and dance naked with a chicken on my head and no one's going to care. So why not just do the writing equivalent of standing naked in the corner with a chicken on your head and dancing and see where that gets you? Because nobody cares. So you can do the weirdest stuff, the worst stuff. Nobody cares. And then once you start getting attention, then maybe you can make more careful decisions. But at the beginning of your career, you could do anything. It's always liberating. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually a perfect note to end on because it's it's a very positive one. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've been really negative this whole time. I'm so sorry. No, no, I don't <laughs> I think so. I want to be honest, uh, but, you know. Yes. No, I, I think it's important to be honest about things. Um, at the same time, it, it it is also a matter of, as we just concluded here, about keeping, keeping going and not giving up. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you shouldn't go into it with your eyes closed. You, you need to open your eyes and understand what you're dealing with here. Yeah. And listening to podcasts like this one or, or others where you're, you're getting the truth of things, that, that's, that will help you in the long term. But, um, and I don't think you've been negative at all, Mer. Oh. I think it's been good. Thank you. <laughs> so is there any place where you would like people to go uh, to check you out on the internet or wherever if, if they want to learn more about you and what you do, Mer? Yeah, uh, you can find all my stuff at merverse.com. That's one R-M-U-R-V-E-R-S-E. And uh, that's where you can find links to my books, links to my podcasts and uh, press kit and all that. And my blog, which really is just my list of podcast episodes because <laughs> I don't blog much anymore. But um, that's where you can find me. And I'm... Uh, when the world's not on fire, I'm on Twitter more often, and that's twitter.com slash Mighty Excellent. So thank you so much for joining us today, Mur. Certainly. It was a pleasure. Thank you. So next Monday, 
Autumn will be back and we are going to discuss how some people seem to have a bit of an attitude towards the fantasy genre. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on patreon.com slash amwritingfantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday.